scripture reading this morning is found in Ezekiel 14, 14. Ezekiel 14, verse 14. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. Five wise sinners. Has there been any word from the Lord? This has been the cry all through the scripture, starting, I think, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were hiding behind a tree in that glorious garden. Their minds were racing, asking themselves, what have we done? In this case, they were afraid to call out this quest. Is there any word from the Lord? But they were thinking this thought. Then throughout the Old Testament, this theme and question came forth again and again. Sometimes it was the people crying out this question. Sometimes it was the king of the people. During time of Moses, he was often discouraged by his wayward people. He cried out from in his heart, Is there any word from the Lord? Certainly, before Joshua cried out to his people that lonely day, he had spent time with his Lord, asking him, Is there any word from you, Lord? The Lord then, when he had his answer, he went out and gave one of the greatest speeches in the entire Bible. Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua 24, 15. Later, during the time of the minor prophets, the children of Israel were wandering away from the Lord, as they so often did. The prophet Amos heard these words back from the Lord in answer. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me, seek me and live. Amos 5, 4. During the terrible captivity of the children of Israel into Babylon, Jeremiah was the prophet and spent much of his life in prison. Is there any word from the Lord? He would cry out. The Lord answered him, And ye shall seek me and find me, when you shall search for me with all your heart. Jeremiah twenty nine, thirteen. All throughout the scriptures comes this cry, Is there any word from the Lord? And Almighty God answers, I am here waiting for you. I have been here all the time. I am right beside you, just waiting for you to talk with me. I want to be your friend, and I want so much to give you eternal life and salvation. That is my free gift to you, if you choose me instead of the powers of darkness. I want you to be with me throughout eternity. I will come to earth very soon, for the latter rain is falling right now as predicted in the Bible. Please choose me. Eternity is a very, very long time. It has no end. Today we will look into Scripture for the wisdom we find therein to help us on the walk through this world and into eternity that awaits us. I'm indebted this morning to Leslie Harding, a preacher, theologian of yesteryear, for some of the thoughts of today's message. Our subject today then is five wise sinners. The Scriptures are clear. Everyone born is a sinner. We cannot escape it. But there is good news. We all have a choice to make if we are to spend eternity in the goodly land, in the heaven above. 
We first of all think of Cain and Abel. One chose to follow God, one did not. We next, next think of Jacob and Esau. One chose to follow God, and one did not. What makes a man choose? We will explore the question today as our eternal destiny hangs on our answer to the question. There will be a recurring theme today, which is this. Is there any word from the Lord? Salvation is in the air, God answers back, if we just reach out and take it. We have two texts. The first one is Jeremiah 15.1. In this text, we hear the amazing words of judgment. Thus says the Lord unto me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet in my mind could not be towards these people, cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. Our next text to match this is Ezekiel 14.14. 14. Though these men three stood before me, Noah, Daniel, and Job, though they were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. And these words are repeated three more times in the 14th chapter of Ezekiel. These two texts will be the focal point of our remarks this morning. They speak of judgment of the last days and men's choices during their lifetime for God or for against Him. They speak of eternity to come. We will spend eternity someplace, you know. Because of the magnificent grace of Jesus, we have the option of choosing eternity with Him in His kingdom. Everyone who has ever been born must make a choice. Our character cannot be borrowed or given to someone else. From an earthly standpoint, we stand alone in the judgment, but there is good news, good news indeed. I can ask Jesus to stand there beside me. He has promised me to erase my sin as though they never happened. He has promised the black will become white, that crimson will be white. Hebrews 2.17 promises a believer that he covers and erases our sins. So with this beautiful picture of grace in our mind, let us move on to our first Old Testament character. That would be Moses. This is a story about a man who is like a kaleidoscope of colors, one might say. How mighty can you fall? He started out as a miracle baby. The Pharaoh put out a law that all male infants were to be killed. Moses was a newborn, was put in a basket and floated down the Nile River. From that time onward, through his life, God sent his angels to watch over this special creation of his. He was raised in the greatest nation in the then known world. He was adopted by Pharaoh himself as his son. Here we see the man, that man thinks he is in control of events and nations, but we find that God is in control of every nation and of every life. Moses reluctantly followed God's command to lead his people out of Egyptian bondage. Does, he finally brought out the children of Israel, but into the desert, and was on the way to old Mount Sinai, into the promised land, or towards the promised land. Then when they camped at the base of the mountain, God did something and Moses accomplished something that has never been done before in the history of this world. We find this in Exodus 22, 
and Exodus 32. Moses walked up the mountain and was embraced into the arms of his creator. He walked up this mountain into a cloud of God's glory and was there with God, listening and talking to God for 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat or drink. So enraptured in this glorious event that time seemed non-existent. While Moses was in God's presence, God wrote with his own finger the essence of his character and wrote these rules that we are to live by on sapphire tables of stone. God outlined to Moses the plan of salvation and pointed out to him that distant hill of Mount Calvary where his son one day would die for all mankind so that we might live forever. After 40 days and nights, Moses' face shone with the glory of God and he had to cover his face because of the brightness when he descended down towards his people. What he found in the valley dashed his hopes and destroyed his equanimity. Alas, his people, God's people, had made a god of gold, a golden calf, and were worshiping it, dancing around it, and bowing to it. Moses was so incensed that he threw down the tables of sapphire stone, breaking them in pieces. These were the stones that God wrote with his own finger about his character, and they broke in pieces. I ask you, have you ever told a lie? Here the scriptures tell us that Moses' brother told a whopper of a lie. Scripture records that Aaron told Moses that he simply put the gold in the fire and out came a golden calf. <laughs> Exodus thirty-two twenty-one and 32 have some of the greatest words in the entire Bible, rivaled only by the words of our Savior as he hung on the cross. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made much of them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wert forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou hast written. I ask you this morning, how did Moses know there was a book of life? He was willing to blot his name out of the book of life or ask God to do so. This is nearly unbelievable from a human standpoint. Moses is offering himself, if necessary, for this wayward people. He is willing to trade his own eternal life if God would require it to save his people. What a man. On that mountaintop with God, he had learned well the wonderful grace of God and how offering himself, and now is offering himself to save his people. We must try to understand this. Moses was a sinner like the rest of us. He gave up the highest position in Egypt next to the Pharaoh himself. In fact, he was in line to be the next Pharaoh, to lead a band of slaves. His life's ambition was to go into the promised land that had been promised by God to his people. He pleaded with God, Oh, let me go over. Oh, let me go over. God said, No, Moses. No, you cannot go over. Then Moses heard some heart-rending words. Moses, you must go up to the top of the mountain and be gathered unto your people. You must go up to the mountain alone and die. And the Bible says, his eye was not dim. Moses sobbed out these words. But I must die in this land? Yes, Moses. 
Certainly, with tear-filled eyes, Moses made the climb alone. But oh, what a surprise God had for Moses. Hardly had Moses' eyes closed in death, but Jesus, or perhaps Angel Gabriel, was at his side, waking him to eternal life, taking him back with him to the heavenly country, the land filled with milk and honey, to the heavenly Canaan, to be with Jesus forever. Centuries later, he would strengthen Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration just before he went to the cross to die for you and I. Remember our text. Though Moses stood before me, he would save but his own soul. Samuel. Our next sinner is Samuel. What a story. The story of a young boy who with insurmountable odds chose to serve God, as did Moses. As a young boy, he was sent to live in the household of Eli, the priest. Eli was a big man, the chief prophet in Israel. All Israel looked up to him. He had a confused and distorted household. Eli had two older sons who were two of the worst characters the Bible tells us about. The names were Hophni and Phinehas. They took advantage of their older father, the high priest of Israel. Their influence caused a great part of Israel to go to strange gods and follow them. Eli seemed powerless to do anything about this. The Bible depicts them as going after wine, women, and false gods. Samuel grew up in this environment and household. The two older brothers were mocking God continually. They did despicable deeds of treason against the Most High God. Year after year, as Samuel grew up from boyhood, he steadfastly turned towards God as the elder brothers went down the road that they were on to eternal loss. What makes a man choose? Then when the crisis comes, Samuel was ready. It is recorded in 1 Samuel 7, verses 7 to 10. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hands of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a burnt offering, holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel. And the Lord heard him. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomforted them. And they were smitten before the Lord. In the moment of crisis, when Israel's existence was threatened, Samuel chose to offer a lamb to point Israel to God and to point Israel to Mount Calvary in the future, when the real Lamb of God would be slain for the sins of the world. Samuel passed his great test, and God delivered Israel that day and saved them from destruction. You see, the cry came out, Is there any word from the Lord? And the Lord answered back, Salvation's in the air if you just reach out and take it. But what does our text say? Though Moses or Samuel stood before me, they would save but their own souls. Noah. What about Noah? What can we say about him? He was 480 years old when the Lord said to him, Noah, build an ark. An ark? A boat? It had never rained. What a foolish idea those people thought, but God said, build an ark. Noah's 
test was already beginning. For 120 years, Noah and his sons cut timber, made boards, built an ark according to God's precise instructions. Right on the dry land. Amid the scorn and the laughter of the people, the wickedness of man had become so great that God even repented that he had made mankind. Can you believe that? Noah preaching, teaching, pleading, and building for 120 years. The day finally came when the ark was complete. God said, it's time to get in the ark, Noah. It still was sunny in the heavens, and the sky had no clouds. It hadn't been raining. There was no water. But God said, get in the ark. The door was then shut after Noah and his family, and the animals went into the ark. Probation had closed. It was over for those people. Genesis 7 tells us, And the flood was forty days upon the earth, and waters increased up on the ark, and it was lift up above the earth. In the words of the King James, it was lift up above the earth. And waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth. And the ark went upon the face of the waters, and the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth. And all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits above did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. And all the flesh died that moved upon the earth, and Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed upon the earth one hundred and fifty days. Noah preached and built for 120 years and believed God and thereby saved his own soul and that of his family. Why did they choose for God and the others did not? Noah's ark also pointed to Calvary, you see. The door of that ark represents our Savior. That door, the only way to get in to salvation for us. What does our text say? Though Moses, Samuel, Noah stood before me, saith the Lord, they would save but their own souls. Was there any word from the Lord? Yes, there was. Salvation is in the air if you just reach out and take it. Daniel. What about Daniel? Daniel, a giant in the Old Testament, he, like his ancestor Moses, chose to serve God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Daniel was among the captives taken into Babylon. And this story of Daniel, once and for all time, tells us that God is in charge of future events, of all human events, and everything is in God's hands. The present is in God's hands because of his daily commitment to his God and his insistence on praying to his God. He was thrown into a lion's den to be killed. He trusted God. And the story is just amazing. There was something about Daniel that the king of Babylon liked. He saw in him character. He was put in charge of all the wise men of Babylon. A young Jewish boy, imagine. The head of of all the wise men, in charge of the wise men in the pagan nation. Jealousy was instant. The king passed a law that could not be changed. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den to be eaten alive. The king could not sleep that night. He came down early to check on Daniel. Daniel, Daniel, are you there? Back came the answer. God has sent an angel to shut the lion's mouth. O king. This story is not for children only. 
It is for us to strengthen our faith. Later, when the king lost his mind for seven years, Daniel held his kingdom together for him against all comers. And through this, Daniel was able to lead the pagan king to worship the God of heaven. What a story of God's overriding grace that tells us again he is in charge of the affairs of nations and of everyone. Daniel ends up writing the key book in the Old Testament about Calvary and about the Savior who was to come and to die for all mankind so that we might live forever with our God. But what does our text say? Though Moses, Samuel, Noah, Daniel stood before me, they would save but their own souls. Is there any word from the Lord? Yes, the Lord answers. Salvation's in the air if you just reach out and take it. What about Job? God holds a council session at the center of the universe. Satan is allowed to be part of that gathering for some unknown reason. Satan challenges God about this man Job. God gives him power over Job, but God said, you cannot take his life. So Job was pummeled with tragedy after tragedy. All his possessions were gone, his cattle, his family, and his home. His former friends were turned against him. Then he is visited with horrible boils, sitting on a pile of ashes. He is miserable beyond measure. But when his crisis came, when his crisis came, he could say these words, I know that my Redeemer liveth and will stand upon the earth in the latter day. I know that my Redeemer liveth. Noteth, he uses the words, my Redeemer, a possessive word. When it all started, God had referred to Job as a perfect man, and he still had to teach Job a few things about life and about himself. He started asking Job some questions in the latter part of the book of Job. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth, Job? Where were you when I created the seas and their boundaries and set the boundaries? On and on went the questions, over 30 of them of a similar nature. Job was so overwhelmed that scripture tells us he just put his hand over his mouth and said, Lord, your glory and creative power is just too great for me. I have nothing more to say. Because Job held firm to his faith in the end, God gave him more than he had in the beginning. What a testimony to the glory and the grace of God. But what did our text say? But in the end of time, though these men, Moses, Samuel, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it and stood before me, they would save but their own souls. Let us remember, is there any word from the Lord? Yes, the Lord says. We have a similar truth in the New Testament. Jesus had been on Mount Olives telling his disciples parables and stories. These are recorded in Matthew 23 and 24. These were stories of his second coming to this earth. He was talking about lightning flashing in the heavens and a trumpet sounding a blast in the heavens. And the dead would rise and return. And the earth's condition would be like it was in the days of old Noah. When every thought of man's heart was only evil continuously. It would be like the days of Noah when wickedness was so great. 
Most people will be going about their own business, oblivious to what is about to happen just before the coming of Jesus. In that day, a flood came and wiped out all flesh not in the ark. It was this New Testament reading in Matthew. He was pleading with them to understand these things as he pleads with us today. To understand as we read the same words as the end of time approaches. His kingdom is about to be inaugurated and his faithful ones are about to go home with him forever. It was in this setting that he told the parable of the ten ladies in Matthew 25. This is a parable clarifying what it means to be ready for Jesus' return. Let us be careful here. Jesus' whole message during his life was to give peace and joy and happiness to people. We can know that we are saved according to 1 John, which tells us over and over again that we can know we have eternal life right now, this moment. Jesus brought this good news to a parade of characters in the New Testament. When he washed the feet of his disciples that night before his crucifixion, he pronounced them all clean. He said, you are clean. Were they really clean? He promised Mary that her story would be told until he comes, certainly telling her that, he, that she would be in, in the kingdom of heaven. I think of the woman at the well. We also think of Nicodemus who was searching for truth at midnight. We think of the twelve disciples after his resurrection. Then we think of the thief on the cross who heard a promise of eternal life from the lips of Jesus. Why cannot we have the same assurance that the thief heard as he hung there next to Jesus on the cross? I love this phrase we have been repeatedly saying this morning. Salvation's in the air if you just reach out and take it. So we come to the parable of the ten ladies, symbolizing everyone who has ever known the name of Jesus, but especially those of us who are living down, I believe, at the end of time. There is, I think, a big difference in the phrase getting ready and being ready for Jesus' return. If we are always running around worrying about if we are good enough rather than focusing on being ready, we are in trouble. Getting ready does not seem to me to bring much peace and joy in my heart. But focusing on being ready does bring peace and joy and rest. Resting in the merits of my Savior, accepting his robe of righteousness, is the answer. So we can visualize Jesus sitting there on the grassy hillside. It is even time, according to Bible scholars and commentaries. Jesus starts off with these words, The kingdom of heaven is like unto. Then he talked of ten maidens. They were waiting near the bride's home for the bridegroom to arrive and take his bride to his house for the wedding festivities. In the Middle East, the custom was to have a week of parties and festive events. The custom comes down to our day. I remember well when we were in Southeast Asia, this custom still exists to this day in the Middle East and Southeast Asia. They have days and days of pre- and post-wedding parties. Jesus told of these maidens having lamps. Lamps represent the word of God. They had oil, which represents the Holy Spirit. These lamps were clay bowls with a receptacle underneath the storage of the bowl for oil. This represents the oil of the Spirit. How often do we let the word of God bathe and saturate our minds? Do we really daily Invite the Holy Spirit into our hearts and our lives? How much reserve oil do we have in our clay bowls 
translated, how much do we have in our minds? Jesus said five were wise and five were foolish. The five wise had spent time filling their receptacles with oil of the Spirit, enough to last until the bridegroom arrived. These were the other five. There were the other five who, like those in another of Jesus' parables, they, they were like the seed planted in a rocky ground and it sprang up and withered because of lack of feeding on God's word. Jesus' story had a surprise. The bridegroom tarried. He did not come when they expected him to. They were tired and went to sleep. Suddenly at midnight, the great excitement happened. The ten maidens awoke with a start and trimmed their lamps. There were five who suddenly realized their lamps were going out because of not enough oil. They asked frantically the other five ones to borrow oil. But you see, character is not transferable. Scripture embedded in the mind is not transferable to someone else. We all stand alone and must be responsible for ourselves. The five foolish ones were advised to go and buy for themselves, but they could not. It was too late. Too late. When the lightning flashes and the trumpet sounds, probation is shut, as the door of Noah's ark was shut. When the door was shut, no one else could enter. As our texts have told us, though Moses, Samuel, Noah, Daniel, Job would stand before me, they would save neither son nor daughter, but they would save only their own souls. There is good news, though. All through the Old and the New Testament of Scripture, we have the words like these from Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort ye. Comfort ye, my people, saith the Lord. Speak comfortable to Jerusalem and to cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Did you hear that? One place in Scripture we're, we're told that we're blessed if we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins. Here it says... We will receive double if we do that same thing. Oh, my friend, this is a promise for the ages, for eternity. Our text says we receive double when our sins are forgiven. It is more, much more than that. It is millions of times more. For you see, how do you count eternity? How can you count eternity? It is forever. You cannot count eternity. It is a gift to everyone who accepts Jesus as Lord. Comfort ye. Comfort ye, my people, says the Bible. Saith the Lord, speak comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. I know not why God's wonderful grace to me he hath made known, nor why, though I'm unworthy, Christ in love redeemed me for his own. I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through his word, creating faith in him. I know not how this saving faith to me he did impart, nor how believing in his word wrought peace within my heart. I know not when my Lord may come, at noon or night, nor if I'll walk the veil with him or meet him in the air. But I know whom I have believed in, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed 
unto him against that day. Our closing song is B 511, I Know Whom I Have Believed. I Know Whom I Have Believed. that we can have peace and joy and have confidence 
that we can be saved now as we walk our pathway on this earth. Oh Lord, there's nothing better than this. Nothing better on this earth that could entice us when we look at eternity and having friendship with you and having eternity with you, our Savior. Bless us to this end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.